vacation was good, but being in the house of the Lord is sweeter. So it's good to be back with you guys this morning. We will continue our series in uh, the Beatitudes in the series of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Before we get there, I just wanted to uh, say thank you to Brother Frank from filling in uh, last Sunday for me. I listened to it on the beach. No greater place to listen to God's Word than uh, on the beach as the waves were coming in and just was taking a walk and listened to Brother Frank's message from John 10 and uh, Psalm 23. And we do have a great shepherd, amen? Uh, we do have a great shepherd, and I was so grateful for Frank's words on that. And the encouragement was to my heart to think that we do have a shepherd that watches over his sheep, and he uh, never neglects us. Just being reminded of that on the beach and being reminded of that this morning, uh, in light of all that's happened this week, we still have a great shepherd. And he will shepherd us in our time of need. And so, uh, Frank, thank you so much uh, for filling in last Sunday. What an honor and a privilege it is to uh, sit under an older, wiser, godlier man than I. I'm so grateful for the men in this church, the older, wiser men in this church that uh, help lead a young man like myself in the, in the ways of the Lord. Uh, we need older brothers like you, Frank, to lead us young men in the ways of the Lord. And so I'm grateful for that. Um, very, very grateful for this church. I have a sister-in-law who uh, goes to uh, a large church in South Carolina, and we just had some great discussion about that. And you know, what she was talking about is what we have that she doesn't have. They're a church of about thirty thousand people, and she said it's made up of all people my age, pretty much. And I thought to myself, uh, what a tragedy that would be, uh, not to be under teaching of older, wiser, godlier people. And so. Uh, to be in this church, uh, to be with older, wiser men and women, it has been a great privilege for me, my family. I knew I was in a great place here at Powell's Chapel when I woke up Sunday, and Tennyson woke, she woke me up and said, oh, we're going to church this morning. I said, uh, not this morning. And she got a tear in her eye, and she said, I I'm going to miss my Sunday school class. I'm going to miss church. And this morning, she ran to our bedroom before I was ever awake and woke me up and said, Daddy, Daddy, we're going to church this morning. I said, yes, we are. And just the delight that's been for my soul to have uh, raising up children in the house of the Lord. Uh, I'm just so grateful for that. Grateful to be back with you this morning. And, uh, with a heavy heart that I come this morning to you all after receiving the news. You know, I never knew Aaron, but I've heard the great things of Brother Mike and what he's meant to this church. And so uh, even as your pastor, it's a heavy heart that I come before you. Just been reflecting on that yesterday and today since Jerry told me. Uh, I just want to read one passage of Scripture before we jump into our own passage of Scripture. It's in John chapter 11. Um, you know, there's a part of me, a twinkling of me that wants to say, uh, let's divert from our message in Matthew and go to John chapter 11. Um, but I, I don't think I would do this passage a great justice this morning. It's where Jesus' best friend Lazarus has passed away. It was his closest friend outside of his disciples. And I want to say and read this one verse. And this is the claim I will stake on this morning for us with a heavy heart. It's in uh, John chapter 11, verse 4. This illness does not lead to death. We believe that to be true this morning. Though Lazarus had died and was in the tomb, what Jesus was saying is his soul is not dead. I believe that to be true 
uh, this morning for us. I believe that we have a Savior that cares deeply about our soul and says to us, our souls will not lead to death. What is this about, Jesus says? It is for the glory of God, of the Son of God, that he may be glorified through it. You see, we do not understand what uh, has transpired uh, this week with Aaron, but we do know this. We can lay claim to this verse in John 11, chapter, uh, chapter 11, verse 4. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through this. All this is to bring honor and glory to God. That, uh, we may never understand that. You know, as a uh, young man, my dad committed suicide about six years ago, and it baffled me. I did not understand it. And even today, all these years later, I still do not understand what he took his own life for. But I do lay claim to this verse. Uh, this has been the anchor for me through my pain and my sadness as uh, it's coming up on the six-year anniversary of his suicide. I continue to lay claim to this. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it all. I may never know on this side of eternity what uh, this means. We may never know what it means, uh, this great tragedy, but God knows. We can lay claim and hold of that. God knows what he is doing. Uh, this is not a mystery to God. We can lay claim this morning that it's for the glory of God this morning. And so that's what I'll pray for us this morning. And then we'll turn back to chapter uh, 5 of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. Let us pray as we go before the Lord, before his holy word. God, it is with deep sadness. The same way that your son in, here in John chapter 11 was sad, even though he knew the outcome, he still wept over his friend. And God, we will weep today. And in our weeping, God, I pray that you would comfort us. And I pray in some still way, God, in some small way through the gift of your Holy Spirit that we would come to believe this verse in John chapter 11. This is for the glory of God. To bring your son glory and honor, I pray that would be true. Today, as we go and we mourn the loss of a young man. We mourn with their family, their loss. God, it's for your glory, it's for your honor. God, we pray now that as we come into your word here in Matthew chapter 5, that you would illumine our hearts with the scriptures. That we'd lay our hearts claim to this, God, and that we'd find comfort in your word, God. Your word is so comforting and so soothing to us. I pray that would be true for us in light of all that's happened this week. We give you this morning what an amazing time of worship. Thank you for John and leading us to your throne through the songs that he picked. God, just sitting there in the front, just being overwhelmed with joy and sadness and awe of who you are, God. I pray that that theme would run for the rest of this service for us. That we would all be in awe of you today, God. So lead us and guide us as we journey through this passage of Scripture. Pray this in the sweet name and fame of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. And as you're turning there, you can also go to Luke chapter 10. So have your thumb or finger wherever you'd like in Luke chapter 10. That's, we're going to get to that here in this service eventually. But if you've been with us um, any length of time, you know we're going through this series called the Manifesto. It's God's declaration to us through Jesus, his son, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, the manifesto, what it means for us when he told us 
in Matthew chapter 4 that the kingdom of God is at hand. And therefore, he has invited us as his loved ones, as his children, to be invited into his kingdom, into the kingdom of God. And in this manifesto, Jesus is telling his people, the citizens of the kingdom, we are citizens of the kingdom of God, what it looks like for us to live out our daily lives practically. You see, when we come into the kingdom of God, God then puts onto us requirements of what it means to live out our salvation. As Paul says, to live out our salvation with fear and trembling. And so the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, is his way of saying, hey, if you're in my kingdom, this is what it looks like to live in my kingdom. Just like here in America, there is a way that our forefathers fought and shed blood for us to live. It's the, the Constitution. We live our lives based on the Constitution. Now, it's been muddied and murky, but if we go back to the, the reason this whole place, the United States, was established was for our freedom. And that's what Jesus is telling us here in the Beatitudes. That's what he's going to tell us throughout this Sermon on Mount. What does it look like for us to live in our freedom in Christ and to experience the fullness that he has come to offer to us in his death and resurrection? And that's where he's been getting at with us here in Matthew chapter 5. The Beatitudes are uh, the, the stepping stones into the kingdom, if you will. They are kind of the gateway into his kingdom. And so the first four are the inner part of our hearts. And Jesus is saying to us, we've got to deal with the internal first. We've got to deal with our hearts first. When you come into God's kingdom, you and I must deal with the heart. There has to be a heart change before there's any behavioral changes. So we looked at the first four weeks of this series that we must be poor in spirit, that we must come to this place of our recognition of how needy we are for our holy God. We believe that this morning, that we are in deep need of God today. We need him today, that we would be beggars before him today. And then that would open us up to our mourning. That word mourning is talking about do we mourn over our sin? We are still sinful beings, even though we're in the kingdom of God, because we will not face, uh, we will not be in glorification without sin until we're on the other side of the, the earth, on the other side of eternity. And so we still, in are living daily, we still sin, and does the Spirit of God bring mourning onto us? Do we mourn over our sin? The next one is, are we meek? The fourth one is, do we hunger and thirst for righteousness? You see, those first four have to deal with the internal. Now, these next four things in the Beatitudes will deal with the external, being merciful, being pure in heart, being a peacemaker, and what does it look like when we get persecuted? How do we deal with those things? And so now Jesus takes a shift in these Beatitudes to say, okay, now we're going to talk about the behavior. You see, if he had flipped it and he started with the behavior, Jesus knows we can do all the behavior modification on the planet, but if our hearts doesn't change, the behavior doesn't matter. You see, we can live these lives that look right on the external, but our hearts are desperately wicked. And he says, if the heart doesn't change, he, we will come before Jesus, and he, we will say to him, we've done all these things, all these external things for you. And Jesus will say to those people, I did not even know you because the heart was never changed. And so for us this morning, as we continue the Beatitudes, is our heart changed this morning? Has there been a heart change in you this morning? 
You see, because when we come into this beatitude here in verse 7, being merciful, the only way that we'll be merciful is when we recognize the mercy that God has showered on us. We believe the shower of mercy that God has poured out all over us today. You see, that's the beatitude here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. He says this, blessed are those that are merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Remember, God says this is, if you live this way, then there will be a reward at the end. He's saying to us today, if you live merciful lives, then you will receive mercy. You see, so often we hear that and we think, well, if we just do the behavior, then the, the, the outcome will come. And we'll see here in this passage that it's not just about, hey, if you forgive, you're forgiven. No, that, that's not how it works. You see, we must recognize that we have been forgiven first. We have a creator God, a savior God that has forgiven us. Therefore, we forgive. Therefore, we understand the forgiveness that's been given to us. The same is true in this passage here, that we would understand the mercy of God on your life and on my life. Because when I begin to understand the mercies of God on my life, I will shower people with mercy. You see, the word mercy is simply this, compassion with action. It's getting hot in here, sorry. I don't know if it's my suntan still boiling over, but I'm sweating already. And so we're going to look at what, it, what does it mean for us to have mercy. But see, we first must understand that we've received mercy. You see, there's four things that we'll look at this morning, that mercy must be coupled with four things. You see, mercy in and of itself will not do us enough. We must understand that mercy with four things, these four attributes of God that we'll see this morning is what will compel us to pour out mercy on other people. Well, let's look first at uh, mercy coupled with forgiveness. Do we believe that we're forgiven this morning? Let's turn to uh, Romans chapter 5. We're going to start here this morning because I, I believe this is where we must start. We must understand who we are first. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. I'll read a little. We'll go to Titus, and then we'll go to Lamentations. So mercy must be coupled with forgiveness. It says this, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. That was you and I. We were ungodly. I don't care what kind of home you grew up in. I don't care if you came to church from the very beginning of your existence, you were ungodly, it tells us. We were ungodly children. We were ungodly men and women. He says that, God, that Christ died for the ungodly. Uh, that whole phrase right there, you can circle it, and in your margin write, mercy. That is mercy, that God would send his son for the ungodly to die for the ungodly. That is merciful. Well, we did not deserve that at all. He says here in verse 7, For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would, would dare even to die. Verse 8, But God showed his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 9, Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Verse 10, here it is. 
For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more now will we be reconciled? Shall we be saved by his life? You see, that is the mercy of God. Do we know this morning first that we have been forgiven by God? That we were forgiven by God through Christ Jesus while we were still dead in our trans, tra, transgressions. That we were still dead in our sins. That God sent his son to us to pour out his mercy for us while we were still sinners. You see, it's the mercy of God that God would look on us as sinners and send his son for you and I. But it started with forgiveness. You see, the mercy of God flows out of his forgiveness for us. You see, while we were still sinners, he forgave us. You see, we didn't have to ask for forgiveness. He showered it out on us already before we ever asked for it. That's what the cross says to us, that the cross of Jesus says, I've forgiven my enemy, and we were enemies of God. And because we are enemies of God, his forgiveness is his mercy showered out onto us. Turn with me to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3 says this. Paul is writing to young Titus and he's saying to him in chapter 3, you were like this. These are all the things that you were like. He says we were foolish, we were disobedient, we were led astray, we were slaves to uh, various passions and pleasures passing our day in malice and envy and hatred to one another and hating one another. But, circle that word in verse 4 of chapter 3. But, this is but. He's saying to us, all this was still true about us. This is all true about you, Titus. But, he says this, but when the goodness and loving kindness of our God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us not because of the works done by us in righteousness but according to his own mercy by the washing of the regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Christ Jesus our Savior. You see he's saying all this, those first few things he says to Titus which he's talking to us as well we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray slaves of passions and pleasures, passing our days with malice and envy and hatred by each other and towards each other. But all that, while you were doing all that, the forgiveness of God was poured out on you. You see, it doesn't matter where you're at this morning in your journey with the Lord. If you have no relationship with the Lord, the Lord's mercies are being poured out onto you in this very moment, though you may not know that. And if if you are in relationship with the Lord, we'll look here over to uh, Lamentations chapter 3. Let's turn to Lamentations chapter 3. This is what he's saying to us as believers. He's talking to the unbeliever and saying, those mercies are poured out on you through forgiveness. And now here in Lamentations chapter 3, he says this. It's a hard book to find. You can cheat with the... Uh, table of contents I had to, and I've been through Bible college. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22, this is what the writer says. Now the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, amen? His mercies never come to an end. 
They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You see, this morning, it doesn't matter where you're at in your journey with the Lord. Whether you have no relationship with the Lord or you're seasoned in your relationship with the Lord. Lamentation says his mercies are new every morning. There are no old mercies with the Lord. You see, it does not matter where you're at this morning. God, through his mercy, through his forgiveness, showers us with his mercies. You see, forgiveness is coming out of the mercy of the Lord. Do we believe that this morning? You see, blessed are those that are merciful. You and I must understand how much mercy has been poured out on us. The forgiveness of our Lord Jesus to us this morning. Through forgiveness. That's the first place that mercy must be coupled with forgiveness for us to understand how much we are to be merciful to others. The second one is found in Ephesians chapter 2. Let's turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus and he says this in chapter 2. Verse 4 and 5. Ephesians chapter 2. It would probably help if I wasn't in Galatians. I'm like, that does not talk about what I needed to say. Ephesians chapter 2. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loves us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. You see, mercy and grace must be coupled with love. Mercy must be coupled with love. You see, it's the love of God, not just the forgiveness of God, but now it's the love of God. You see, the mercies of God flows out of his love for us, that while we were yet sinners, he loved us and gave his son for us. You see, God loves us. Do you believe that to be true this morning? Do you feel the love of God in you this morning, that you are loved by God no matter where you're at this morning. God's love is being showered on you. That's the mercy of God. You see, these things that we're going to look at are all going to be showered onto us. The, the, the mercies of God, the forgiveness of God, the love of God, the grace of, of God, those are all going to be showered onto us. The showering is the mercy of God. That's what makes it new. God's love for us is new every morning. Do we believe that? We do not have a stale God. There's not stale bread with God. It's always fresh baked bread with God. The love of God is always fresh for us. Do we believe what Paul is saying here in Ephesians chapter 2? Let me read it one more time. But God being rich in mercy, because what? Because of the great love which he loved us. He loves us this morning because of his great love. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, we were made alive together with Christ. By the grace, you've been saved. You see, while we were still dead, we were made alive. That does not make any sense to us, but it makes all the sense in the world to God. God knew he chose us before we ever chose him. Let me say that one more time. 
God chose us before we ever chose him. You see, you and I did not wake up one morning and have a bright idea to go choose God. You see, God had a great idea to love you, and in his love for you, awakened your dead heart to him. He put on the, the, the CPR to your heart and woke your heart up through his love and mercy so that you had this aha moment, I need a holy God. That's the love of God. While you were dead, it says, he made you alive. Before you ever chose him, he chose you. That's the love of God this morning. Do we believe that? You see, when we begin to wake up to the mercies of God, when we begin to wake up to those things, we will pour out mercy onto other people. The next thing that we see is the mercy and the grace must go together. I love what this writer says. I'll just read it to you. They are probably the closest of all the relationships, mercy and grace. Mercy and grace look like twin sisters. It says this, mercy deals with the consequences of sin. Mercy deals with the symptoms of the sin. Mercy offers relief from the pain of the sin. And eventually mercy eliminates the pain of sin. He goes on to say this about the grace of God. The grace of God deals with sin itself. You see, mercy deals with its effects. The grace of God deals with sin directly. It deals with the cause of sin, where the sin is caused. The root cause of our sin is our depravity. The beauty of grace is this. It offers a pardon from our sin. And grace cures the disease of sin. You see, the mercy and grace of God must go together. You see, the mercy of God is going to be the soothing ointment of all the pain that comes from our sin. Sin causes great pain in our life. But the mercies of God is what relieves us from the pain of God, from the pain of our sin. You see, if, if God did not send his mercy on us in our sin, the hell that we would live in daily would be overwhelming to the soul. But the mercies of God holds that back from us having to really deal with it. You see, there will be a day that the mercies of God aren't in your life if you are an unbeliever. And you will feel the pain. It's called hell. You see, the mercy of God today is what relieves us of the pain of sin, relieves us of understanding the full consequence of our sin, which is hell. That's what the mercy of God does in your life today. Though you sin against God, there is mercy that's showered on you from God that does not allow you to feel the full extent of that. The full extent of the mercies of God, if it was removed, would, would be the removal of God himself from you. That is what is hell. That's what makes hell, hell. Not that it's hot. You see, in hell, there is no presence of God. That's what makes hell, hell. You see, you and I, today, we'll leave this place and we will still experience God everywhere we go. The presence of God is all around us. But there will be a place called hell that there is no presence of God. That's miserable. And that's what the mercy of God does not allow us to experience today. Now, the grace of God that's poured out with that is that this, the grace of God deals with sin itself. It deals with the cause of sin, and it offers us a pardon. You see, we do not have to live our lives 
in fear that one day we will experience hell. That's called the pardon, that there is a great judge that pardons us in our sin because he looks on us, not of ourselves, but he looks on us through the forgiveness of his son Jesus, the blood of Jesus, that if you are a believer this morning, are showered with this morning. And so God no longer sees you as you, but he sees you as his chosen one that's been washed in the blood of his, of his son. That's the pardon of sin for us this morning. And then eventually, the grace of God cures that. Do we believe that this morning? There is a cure for sin this morning. That's the grace of God. There is a cure for sin this morning. You see, it's what Jack prayed. We are here and we're mourning Aaron because of the cause and the pain of sin this morning. There is a great redeemer of that pain this morning for us. There will be one moment that you and I will stand in eternity and we will no longer feel pain because of the grace of God. And it starts with his forgiveness that's poured out to us through his love and his forgiveness on the cross that we have the grace and mercy of God shower onto us. And lastly, you may not want to hear this one, but if we do not have this one, we don't have any of the rest. Mercy must be coupled with justice. You see, it's the justice of God in our lives that God is a wrathful God. We have to believe that this morning. We have a just God. You see, God knew. He knew that there must be a penalty be paid for sin. That's his justice. You see, if we did not have a just God, we would not know the love of God. We would not know the forgiveness of God. We would not know the grace of God if there's no justice of God. You see, God has to deal with sin. He must deal with sin because sin is not of God. And he must deal with that. That's called the justice of God. You see, so many people don't want to deal with God's justice. Oh, God's, God can't be that way. No, God is that way. You see, there are people that have never heard of the name of Jesus that will die and go to hell. I don't get it, but that's the justice of God because God has to deal with sin. And there is only one way to deal with sin. It's called hell. That is the punishment. And because of God being who God is, the justice of God is displayed on the cross of Jesus Christ. That is the ultimate justification. Do we believe that to be true this morning? Do we believe in the justice of God this morning? You see, if you're apart from God this morning, God's justice on you is him condemning you to hell. That's the justice of God. I don't want to say it, but I must say it. it's accurate to the word of God. But the flip side of that coin is the justice of God is demonstrated on the cross of Jesus, that it doesn't have to be that way. That if you're apart from God this morning, you do not have to live apart from God any longer. That God is calling to you this morning through his son, through his life, his death, and his ultimate resurrection that gives us life and hope. That's the justice of God as well. The God is the great judge, and he sits on his throne in his courtroom and says and declares the justice of God, that you have been made right through his son, not of any works that you've done, but by all the works that his son has done for you. 
See, do we believe in the mercies of God this morning? Do we believe that the mercy of God is this, that for us the mercy of God comes through His great forgiveness? It comes through His great love. It comes through His great grace, and it comes through His great justice. Do we believe that to be true? Because if we believe that to be true, then we'll do what the Sermon on the Mount says to do in Matthew chapter 5. Let's turn back to Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. You see, you and I will only be merciful if we recognize the mercy of God that has been poured out onto us. You see, go over with me to... Luke chapter 10. I'll paraphrase this chapter, but you know it so well. But it is a true picture of what it means to be merciful. It's the parable of the great Samaritan. If you remember the story, there's this man that's walking to from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he falls and he gets hurt, and these people begin to pass him by. And it said this. The man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. And now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. He showed the man no mercy. You see, because a priest in that day and age had never experienced the mercy of God. They had done all the external things right, but the internal had not changed. You see, the priest... In that day, the priests, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Zealots, the Essenes had not had any internal change, so they did not know the mercy of God. They knew about the mercy of God, but they had never experienced the mercy of God. So the priest passed them by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, a Levite was just one that uh, helped the priest uh, to do his duties. He, when he came, he saw him and passed on the other side. See, again, the man had no internal change. He had not seen his neediness. He had not lived out the first four Beatitudes. He did not know his need for God. He had not mourned over his sin. He was not a meek man. Pride and arrogance. Circle this word again. But a Samaritan. Such a key part of this story. That you see the Samaritans and Jews, they hated each other. But there was something that changed in the Samaritan. You see the Samaritan had seen and felt the mercies of God. We see how that plays out. We know it plays out because of how he responds to the man. But the Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. That's the man lying in the ditch. And when he what? He saw him. He had compassion. The two, three words that stick out to me when I was studying this was saw him and compassion. Do I see people? You see, this man, the Samaritan, was only able to have compassion and mercy because he saw him. Now, this is my own interpretation of what that meant. I think the Samaritan saw him for who he was as himself. I think the Samaritan saw and recognized himself that one day, time he was a man in the ditch. Do we believe that this morning? You see, we were all in the ditch, and the great Samaritan rescued us. Do we believe that? Because when we begin to believe that, we will see the others that are in the ditch. Because there's many, many people in our community that are still in the ditch. Because as John 10.10 10 says, there is a robber, a thief, 
that comes to kill, steal, and destroy and leaves us in the ditch. So I believe the Samaritan saw that man had been beaten as himself and he had compassion. He had mercy. Mercy is just compassion in action. You see, you and I could see things all day, but until we're moved in seeing them, they're not really mercy at all. Mercy is an action word. See, I can have compassion on on the television, but that screen doesn't move me to do anything for those poor, needy children. Then it's just compassion. It's no mercy at all. This man had compassion. He had mercy. What that word in the text really means. He did what? He went and he bound up his wounds. He poured oil and wine on him. You see, his compassion and his mercy moved him because he saw him. See, I think we would all say here this morning, there's a lot of people dying and going to hell all around us. We see that, but are we moved by that? You see, do we see them for who we once were? Lost. As Frank said, without a shepherd. Do we see that or would just say those words? Because if we really begin to see this community for as lost as it really is, we will have mercy for this community. See, every day, we've experienced this week, people are dying. And you and I do not know where their eternal resting place is. There's only one that knows that. But does that give us the mercy to go and do something about it? See, it's out of a recognition for who we once were. And we're reminded of who we once were, that we will have mercy on other people. Then it says this in closing, in Matthew. Chapter 5. The mercy, the merciful will receive mercy. You see, it will be our ongoing recognition of who we are. The flow out of the first beatitude. Because you and I, we need new mercies every day. Every day we need to wake up. You see, we will not experience God's mercy unless we remind ourselves of the great salvation that's needed every day. Not our eternal salvation, but that we need a great God to intervene for us. See, we need God's mercy. We need God's mercy. It's when we begin to experience and give out mercy to other people that we will receive mercy. But it only comes out of those first four Beatitudes. Do you know who you are this morning? Do you remember where you came from this morning? Do you remember... God's forgiveness in your life this morning? Do you remember God's love in your life this morning? Do you remember God's grace on your life this morning? And do you remember God's justice in your life this morning? Because when that happens, we will pour out our mercy to other people. God, you are a great God. 